Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, where we look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing why Star Trek looks dated, but Star Wars does not. Peter, answer the question for us. Okay, so let's assume we're talking about the original Star Trek yeah, series. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, uh, apart from being much older, um, it does have a very interesting sort of 1960s style about it. So um, the costumes, the sets, the, the architecture of the ship. Um, the hairdos. The hairdos, yeah, the makeup, everything is very of that era. Um, whereas Star Trek, uh, Star Wars... Is a uh, is it seems more plausible in the way that it looks, the way that the sets are designed, where the costumes are, they're more they're more um, uh, fantasy like, but they you can but perhaps as a result they look more sort of um, they look more realistic and they they have aged better than stuff. So maybe that's if we rephrase the question, yeah, why has it so why has it aged better? I mean, we could be talking about budget here. We could be talking about creative decisions. So, although it's not visual, I know that when they were um, formulating the, the the music score for Star Wars, they made a uh, they made a conscious decision to use classical a classical sounding soundtrack um, precisely because they didn't want it to date. And they said, "Hey, you know, we know that we're in the late seventies and it's all very modern, but actually." 40 years from now the late 70s might feel a bit dated so on right, the soundtrack so that fact, but so on the soundtrack they made that decision yeah. um whereas blake seven with its kind of rhythm guitars probably sounds a bit yeah but i'm just thinking about actually the theremin is a what? really good example the of, what? of this the theremin it's the thing on the all the sound all the sci-fi soundtracks from the from the sort of 40s and 50s onwards which goes you know the one. I know the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether or not the uh, Star Trek, but it is a, um, is a theremin. But it's, uh, it's that sort of sound. Anyway, the point is that the theremin, when it came out, was, um, you know, hugely uh, futuristic. It was, it is. You don't touch it as an instrument. You put your hands over a, a kind of rod, and by interrupting the magnetic field of this thing, it produces a sound. And that so the theremin was associated with absolutely with modernity, with the future and progress, cutting edge, and and was used in all of those soundtracks. And as a result, it now sounds phenomenally dated. You know, when you hear a theremin, you think ninety. It's like the Forbidden Planet. You know, some very sort of nineteen fifties. Um, the day the Earth stood still is another one which uses a theremin in the soundtrack. It's you when you hear it, you'll know you're looking at a nineteen fifties sci fi film. Um, uh, you know, and and uh, and I think there's the there's the rub, right? So the theremin, actually, the soundtrack. Glad you raised it because I think that's a really good, um, you know, symptom of what we're talking about. Mm. Is that you pick the modernist instrument you can think of as representing the future, and it ends up being more dated than just using a violin. You know. Okay, um, but let's sort of delve in. So, what about the visual side of it? But let's try and pick it apart a little bit. I've got I've got an answer. Though. Go on. No, no. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, you don't really. No, have I think an I do. I mean, I think I can. I think I, I think that that observation actually explains the phenomenon we're talking about. Okay, so 
Yes. It, which is the okay. So I think the the issue is that uh, something that is dated, right? Literally, if it's very closely associated with a certain era. Okay. Now, um, the, so you, the, it cannot help but be the case that when the theremin first turned up, uh, you know, that it would be associated with a smaller span of time than, you know, the violin, which has been going pretty much uh, unchallenged for, for a good four or five hundred years. You could stick violin-based music in anything, and it wouldn't tell you which era. It could be the 16th century, could be the 19th century, could be the modern day. But you, the choice to use a theremin, you could say, well, is probably, that is definitely going to be more dated. That's going to put you in the latter half of the 20th century. So, so I think, you know, it's the, the idea of minimizing um, the information content of a thing that you choose to use uh, is a bit, it's a bit like what we discussed before about names. You know, that if you pick a name that's hugely popular for your kid, then that kid is going to be associated with being a certain age for the rest of their lives. I wonder then, because there's another level that you can take this to, which is something like Peaky Blinders, where they consciously, uh, which is in the sort of uh, 1920s, early 1920s, um, a little bit slightly before that, um, where they where they use a soundtrack, which is from the 2000s or 1990s, which is very yeah, kind of it. poppy. Well, um you may you may or may not hate it, but what would be interesting would be ten twenty years from now if we're sort of looking at it going oh god Peaky Blinds is well, so. Can I just reveal Hare's Law? Go on. So this is something I've formulated a few years ago, and I think now is the time to release it among the world. Right. Um, hopefully, someone out there, one of our listeners, will create the wiki page. I can't do it myself. Hare's Law states that um, uh, that the further away in time a film is set. Uh, the more closely it resembles the time in which it was made. What do you think, lads? Yeah, I, I'm so, not, so, I'm, so I'm in not sure words, that... In other words, if you set, if you decide, if we decide now that we're going to make a film about 200 years in the future, it's going to look really 2010s. But but if we set a film in the 2010s, it's more likely to look quite timeless. So films that are future futuristic films or period films in the 60s look very 60s. More so, in a way, than films, mm. you know, like Alfie, which are which are classic sixties yeah, films, I but can, aren't trying to I look like see anything that. in yeah. particular. And I think going going back to the Star Trek. So if you think if you envisage the original series Star Trek ship, the Enterprise, it's very sleek. It's kind of beautiful in a very idealistic sixties way. So if you if you're allowing yourself the freedom, the 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 license to make things look however you want, the costumes and the set and the the props and the models, then um, you'd be it's an easy trap to fall into to idealize based on the the more the mode of that time to 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 sort of say oh well it's this is great I really like this this kind of architecture so all the buildings in the future will look like this um, whereas uh, I think that's in, in contrast to Star Wars all of the spaceships and the vehicles are incredibly functional looking there's bits hanging off them. There's like little weird textures. There's a great word for it. I can't remember that all the textures all look like they do something important. There's vents and little widgets and dials used, and lights. Used future or something is that there? No, it's like garbling or crabbling or something. Oh, is okay. the 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 um, model the term that modelers use for when you put things onto surface to make it look like it's oh, got a functionality to it. Um, uh, so yeah, I think there's uh, uh, so if you just if you allow yourself the freedom to say, okay, it doesn't need to be beautiful, it just needs to look like it does something, then that, I think, has a timeless quality to it. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Um, so, you know, instead of saying we want something that looks futuristic, say, you know, we've got a flying, we've got a floating car. Now, what does a floating car need need to look like? Let's build that. You know, because the people who, I mean, the point is that people in the future aren't going to be making things that look futuristic. They're not going to be sitting down and going, well, it's the future now. I checked on my watch and it's the future. Yeah. So we need to make things look futuristic yeah, I'll get, I'll get now. The, I'll get the, the future design manual yeah, off the shelf. Exactly. And... So, and I think, and I feel like that's actually behind a lot of where these, the, the, the films and things that get it wrong is, is a desire to look futuristic rather than a desire to look like, um, you know, like a, like a world where people are making things because that's how things ought to look. And, and, and this is, you know, part of the, part of the problem about trying to forecast what will look normal in the future or what, you know, is, is uh, to do with the fact that everyone thinks that today is normal. Mm. You know, we, we look around and nothing looks particularly 2018 to us, right? The clothes we're wearing feel like the clothes we want to wear. They don't feel like they're. We don't go well. These these are really these shorts are really 2018. So I'm gonna wear these shorts, and yet we've all got the same shorts on, right? And had we been having this conversation in the in the Not 1980s, the same pair of shorts. We'd have shorts, no. Yeah, it should be worth pointing out that we are all wearing our own independent pair of shorts we're not all snuggled up inside one pair of shorts so <laughs> not but if yet. we were having this conversation in the in the late 70s or early 80s we'd have shorts that were cons- up here they'd be exposing a lot of thigh yeah no one wore shorts like this uh you know until the late 90s i think you're quite right i think um one of the skills of great documentarians whether it be photographers or filmmakers is that interest um, that they have in in the normal, mm. the attention to detail, and that's I I like costume dramas, um, uh, not for the script or the stories because they're usually pretty awful. Things like citing things like um, Downton Abbey, but it's the attention to detail in the sets and the costumes, which are fantastic. Yeah, that's I what think one of my favourite period films of all time is um, Barry Lyndon, and uh, because it's by Kubrick, it looks absolutely faultless. And Kubrick did all these techniques like you know you, he based a lot of the shots on um uh on on you know paintings of the time and um uh, you know if you look at uh, it, it kind of tried to use actual natural light sources including you know candles and things uh is it a kind of, of restoration using, piece uh no, when is it set? set i'm gonna say it's set in the uh, 18th century oh, okay. and it's um and and like a lot of kubrick films see kubrick I mean, we could talk about 2001 because I think it's an interesting case study. But, you know, you t- apply the same thinking to things like a, a film like Pards of Glory, which just looks like photos of the First World War. You, you look at it and you say, this is exactly right. This is how it looked. Um, you know, it doesn't look like, uh, you know, you imagine some modern BBC drama about the First World War. They're all going to look, they're all going to have slightly sort of 90, uh, slightly mm. sort of 2010s haircuts and they're all going to be a bit too good looking. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, 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 remind, that reminds me of there was some um, there were some critical articles about films like Saving Private Ryan, uh, and at the time there were still quite a lot of veterans who had served and uh, had survived the D-Day landings. And one of the criti- criticisms often cited was that it was unrealistic because it was too noisy. It wasn't like that. 
Um, it was it was noisy at times, but it wasn't that constant. But it was generally, the D-Day invasion was quite a sedate affair, <laughs> and, and 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 a lot of the officers stopped for a cup of tea halfway up the beach, and uh, just bringing us mostly a... people whispered. <laughs> just just bringing us back a little bit. One of the things you said, um, which was the more you design something to look futuristic, the less it does, the more dated it quickly becomes. Sorry, yes, that's um, I think that's hairs. That's hairs. So you were referring to that. Um, when you were referring to Hare's Law, I was going to say there's an exception to it, but actually it's not, and it very much proves Hare's Law, which is car design. So uh, concept cars often, you know, which looks mm. sort of, you know, it's meant to be what's what the future looks like. Actually, something that struck me is, and quite quickly it happens, is, um, <coughs> is that concept cars actually do look like cars that we've got now. And so you would think that actually, well, you know, that's wrong. But I think the reason why that is, is probably because of aerodynamic design. Um, and um, which is, a, I guess, is a, is, a, um, is a universal thing, let's say. And so, yeah, it proves what you're saying. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, but I, uh, also, aerodynamic design, right, it's, that's one of those things. It's bollocks. It's a bit like, um, you know how people always say, glasses people you know people who people who tell you which glasses to wear they always say what you want to do opticians let's call them opticians but not necessarily (laughs) because opticians tell you what glasses you need whereas you know that somebody else might be telling you which frames to buy and stuff okay so so they they um they will always say look you need to pick one that matches your eyebrow shape weren't they and yet lo and behold in the 90s everyone was wearing round glasses and now everyone's wearing you know then we went through a period where everyone was having square 50s glasses and now we're back to sort of slightly more i'd say bigger 80s type glasses we're going back to that so yeah it feels like it's based on some universal uh law about about your face but actually it's just fashion and and it's the same with aerodynamics i mean an aerodynamic car of the 1950s you know with all its fins and stuff and 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 sort of flares and and sort of sleek you know long design air hasn't changed am i right peter you're an engineer air hasn't changed but somehow a bit more our concept car- of it's got a bit more carbon in it that <laughs> yeah, that's true that hasn't our, really changed our, the coefficient um, of friction much. but our concept of what um you know of what aerodynamics looks like uh, what you know has changed enormously so you look back at the whole um the sort of ray gun gothic you know googie type uh, cars from the 50s which just looked massively 50s and of course at the time they they thought well yeah. this is this is you know super modern hyper aerodynamic i think i think um, i think uh clinging on to aerodynamics is probably rationalizing it a bit i think i think that in in the motor design industry there's a a a fashion so if it's sort of if it's squat sleek and silvery concept cars this year then the next round of nissans and fords will be going towards that because that's what the marketing departments think is going to sell most. So hold on, am I wrong? Are you disagreeing with me? Because I was saying that, hey, concept cars do end up looking like actual cars. No, we, we were agreeing. What I'm saying is, uh, what what I'm saying is that people will uh, will rationalise it and uh, say it's aerodynamics, but actually it's ninety percent fashion. Because yeah. we, we we can um, we we can pretty accurately model for any given kind of range of speeds the most aerodynamic vehicle now, given what we know about fluid dynamics. So. It's kind of, yeah. If you and it will look like it will kind of look like a teardrop shape. Uh, unfortunately, that's not a very good design if you want to put people in it and an engine and things like that. So you have to make it more car shaped. Um, so it's yeah. They're very any concept car or any car design is very far off optimal 
design in terms of aerodynamics because they're, they're trading that off against loads of other constraints. Um, I'm glad we got a design though because I, I think there's something very interesting in the styles and forms of art and design that play on this anachronistic juxtaposition you get. So I'm thinking like things like steampunk and yeah, yeah, retrofuturism yeah. that deliberately put disingenuous things together for effect. Yeah, I think I think um, I, one of my uh, one of my favourite aesthetics is the Fallout games, where they've taken a kind of nineteen fifties Atomic Age uh, look. Yeah, everything looks like the future from the nineteen fifties, and you know, project sort of set set it set it in a sort of future futuristic apocalypse. Um, and uh, it's very coherent. You look at it and you think, yeah, I get it. I mean, I, you know, I know I, this, is a, this is a very coherent vision of what a certain sort of world could look like. Um, mm. but, I, but I think, you know, I think this touches on the, on the, the big problem about uh, the future is that in order to make things look futuristic, you're having to predict technological changes that by definition we don't, we don't know what they are, right? Because if we did know what the technological changes was, were going to be, they'd be today's technology and not tomorrow's technology. Um, and so you end up with all of, you know, every even really great, uh, you know, sci-fi films have examples of this. You could take something like Blade Runner where, you know, it's flying cars, pretty futuristic, set next year, by the way. But when he makes a phone call, it's a video phone, pretty damn futuristic but he has to go to a phone booth yeah (laughs) you know he doesn't have and then you've got things like alien which is you know i feel like um a hugely realistic vision strategically of 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 a kind of future world of you know where the spaceship itself is really the boss and there's a tiny little crew of seven people you know to to manage corporately owned by a big corporation exactly and it's all it feels very it feels right you know in terms of the the interaction dynamics of the crew and all of that but they have like these huge chunky crt monitors with with uh you know mid 80s uh so futuristic for the time it was made but mid 80s level graphics on them and um even even stuff like uh, you know two thousand and one, which is uh, again it's Kubrick. Very little wrong with it. It's you know really sort of clever. A lot of the 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 vision of the future and the way that it doesn't depend too much on you know balmy futuristic stuff. But even then, you've got Hal, a general artificial intelligence of of unbelievable unbelievably advanced by today's standards, and then you've still got uh, people using typewriters. Mm. So, you know, it's fair. you just cannot get it right. You are not going to be able to get right the things that go and the things that stay. And I think, you know, there are things hanging around today which are probably people would have predicted the demise of, you know. Mm. Um, you know these... I, I want to bring it back around. We need to yeah. sort of close. But before we do, I've got a tricky question to ask. I'd like you, and, we, and we're back on films, I want you to think of two films. I want you to think of a film that's set in its contemporary time. Yeah. No, um, sorry. Do you mean like a film set in a certain era? No. Think of a film. Set at the, the let's time say, when let's it was say, made. let's say, yeah, that said it. Okay. Ter- the, yeah. Think yeah, of a film that's set at the time it's made. And think of a film that's set in a time, ideally before, because we've been discussing lots of future stuff. So I'd prefer in the past, but, I, you know, it doesn't have to be. It can be the future if you want, but I prefer the past. Um, and tell me what they are, if you want, whilst you guys are thinking. Um, so. A film for me that is contemporary, um, that I for me it's about the aesthetics of it. Is I love Serpico, 
Um, and although parts of it, the earlier part of the film are set previously, and in fact it was filmed in reverse because his hair grows. Uh, no, because his hair is shorter at the beginning of the film, so they filmed it in reverse. Whose hair? Um, Al Pacino. Have you seen Serpico? You know, I'm I'm, I'm getting it confused with um, that one about the with Benicio del Toro about the uh, the drugs gangs guys. Uh, I'm not sure which one that is. Okay, <laughs> but because um, he's no, because he, I was in an interview with him the other day. He's done a lot of those kind of things. Um, so yes, yeah, Serpico. I just love the aesthetic. It's just so New York, 1970s, and even the poster for it is quite iconic with him on a great big motorbike with a handlebar moustache, sunglasses on his head, wavy long wavy. Brilliant. Looks a lot like me actually. Um, that's uncanny. Yeah. Well, I've modelled myself, so you can yeah. see. Um, so I love that. Um, and a film that is uh, set in a, in a different time is I I like Zulu. I like Zulu a lot, and that kind of I love Michael Caine. Yeah, I know there's something about Zulu I really like. This of its time that it's portraying, and okay. and, uh, and and yeah, Zulu, good example of something where, where you'd have to you'd have to admit there's something quite sixties about it. About yeah, the look. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to satisfy both questions with one movie. Ooh, what? Back to the Future. So ah. there's big portions of the movie set in the 80s when it was made. And then he travels back to 1953. Yeah, sometime in the 50s. About 55, yeah. Um, so, yes. Um, uh, and I think they did both parts pretty well. I mean, I don't know what small town America was like, um, but I, the 50s looks totally coherent to me. That's what it looks like. Everyone's costumes are great. Uh, sets are great. Um, there, is one, there is one glaring anachronism that the, the guitar enthusiasts will... Will always spot that um, when Marty plays um, uh, Johnny Be Good at the end of the film uh, at the school disco, he's playing a, a, a Gibson ES three four five, which it's although he's unwatchable. I can't although, watch the film. Although he's playing it in nineteen fifty five, that guitar wasn't made until nineteen fifty eight. Ah, but is it possible that Marty from another from Back to the Future two? <laughs> Brought it there, left it in the dressing room in a, in a, in a deleted scene. Possibly, yeah. Nick, I'm going to go with for my film set at the time, um, and and I think is sort of uh, really perfectly captures a certain era. Is Annie Hall? Mm. So it's made made in I think about seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven that sort of time, and um, uh, because it's set in New York among a kind of a, a sort of the intelligentsia in New York. It's very modern looking, but it doesn't, it certainly doesn't try to be, a, a, it's not trying to be a piece about the 70s. And it ends up feeling 70s in a very realistic way because it is, right? But it, but it's, um, but it feels, uh, it, it feels quite, it's just very interesting to watch a film which isn't trying to tell you about the design aesthetics of the 70s and, and nevertheless does. Interesting. Just, period, before you, just before you go into the other yeah. one. Uh, interestingly, Martin Scorsese, one of the things he says about Annie Hall, and in fact, all Woody Allen's films around that time. Woody Allen? Yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah. Sure. Is that, um, well, that's, I don't recognise that New York. I was never there. That's not mm. my place. But that tells you much more about other stuff, I think. But um, And Mean Streets would have been around about the same time, maybe slightly later. Yeah, not everyone um, in New York was a, was a hoodlum. Yeah. Um, and then my period piece, I'm going to go with The Life of Brian, one of my favourite films of all time and obviously set not in the 1970s when it was made but in uh, approximately the 30 AD yeah. and and I feel like if you're going to make a film I, there, there's something about um, not 
trying really as they weren't they were doing everything was for comic effect really rather than but but there is a sense of realism about it and i feel like actually having a bunch of uh kind of revolutionaries arguing about about which you know which other revolutionary groups they hate um you know and none of them actually joining up to fight the romans they're all mainly squabbling about uh, amongst each other feels to me like a more realistic picture of what it was probably yeah, it's like a sort of something it's, very yeah, well researched it's a slightly, and sort of yeah it's a slightly exaggerated view but that's exactly what they do isn't you, it you would imagine that that's you know the sort of it's captured something universal about humanity which is which is more realistic to mm. see portrayed than something which is suggesting that the past is a totally foreign country especially the spaceship chase scene which I they love, totally nailed it was exactly scene. like that <laughs> yeah i remember watching that with my kids and that bit blew their minds yeah. um okay brilliant all right nice uh let's stop there we need to wrap up um i'm fraser mcgrew we've been here with peter coghill and nick Hare of aleph insights um until next time thanks very much for listening goodbye mm.